This is the second um, episode in my discussions with uh, MNG Investments. I'm speaking to Jim Levis, the CIO Public Fixed Income at MNG. Jim, thank you very much for talking to me today. Hello, nice to be here. Right, um, Jim, we're talking fixed income, and um, uh, currently we're sitting with an inflation cycle that seems to be um, going up a bit. Um, and that has uh, stopped the cycle yet. Um, how do you see, how does the inflation cycle impact global bonds and how does this work geographically? Well, I think the first thing to say is bonds absolutely hate inflation. It's, it's the absolute enemy of the bond investor because when you buy a bond, you're obviously lending money to somebody. Generally, it's a fixed rate of interest and you know, the best you can hope for is to get your, your money back in five years time or 10 years time. So inflation is going to erode the value of both your interest payments and your capital. And especially at the moment, because in the US, we have inflation at over 8% in the UK, nearer 10%. And pretty much anywhere you look, both in developed markets and developing markets, inflation is way higher than central banks are comfortable with. Now, uh, People have been hoping that given oil prices have been a bit more stable of late, albeit at quite a high level, um, that hopefully this is near the peak of inflation and, and that during 2023, inflation numbers will be coming down month after month after month. Um, I don't think many people are very hopeful we'll get back down to the kind of 2% inflation that uh, is the target of most central banks like the Bank of England or the ECB or the Fed. Uh, that seems a long way away, but you know it will come down next year and hopefully that will give bonds some respite. And bonds have sold off. So for me as a bond investor, I'm looking around and saying, well, maybe if inflation has peaked here, then it's time to be buying some bonds again, not just government bonds, but also corporate bonds issued by good quality companies and high yield bonds even issued by some of the weaker current uh, companies. Okay. And and um, Jim, does that differ between corporate and government bonds? Or do you look at the, them in the same way with regards to this um, inflation cycle? Yeah, with regards to the inflation cycle, it, it, it's the same story, really. When you buy a corporate bond, you're effectively, um, the yield that you get when you invest in a corporate bond is equal to uh, the, the yield on a government bond of the same maturity. So if you're lending money to a corporate for 10 years, uh, the yield you'll get is effectively the 10-year government bond yield plus something for credit risk. So when you lend money to a company, you presume that it's got a higher chance of something going wrong, of it defaulting, of it not being able, you know, going bankrupt maybe. Um, so you need some credit risk on top of that. And that means that both government bonds and corporate bonds have sold off during this cycle, but it has left corporate bonds looking really quite attractive. So if I go back two years to 2020, when obviously COVID was a big issue, um, corporate bond spreads initially blew out, but they came in once governments provided all that support and government bond yields were very, very low as well. So you ended up with a, a, a corporate bond yield for five year lending, five year investment grade companies, good quality companies, of around about uh, half a percent or one percent, you know, is a measly return on on your investment. Mm -hmm. But obviously, recently, you've seen a huge change in the valuations thanks to inflation, 
thanks to higher interest rates, you can now get 5% for the same, for lending to those same companies. So a five-fold increase in the yield that you get suddenly makes these look attractive. And so with regards to what we would be looking at at the moment, it looks to me that corporate bonds probably offer a little bit more value than government bonds. And if you're the type of investor who doesn't mind taking a bit more risk, then I think that high yield bonds will have a, you know, some of those companies will go bust. These are the weaker companies, but the yield on those is around about 10% at the moment. So mm-hmm. suddenly you've gone from a world of zero interest rates everywhere in the world. And remember, some bonds had negative yields. Now bonds yeah. have positive yields and mm-hmm. even 10% yields. Mm. Yeah, so it makes a whole difference, a whole lot of difference in your outlook. That said, um, what are your thoughts for returns over the next five to 10 years for bonds in general? Well, when I look long term for bond markets, I ask myself, how was it that bond yields got to such a low level in the first place? You know, when I was growing up, bond yields were in the teens in the UK, in in the Mm. gilt market there. So there were some gilts with yields of 15 percent and higher. Um, what is it that's made bond yields fall so much over the past few decades? And the answers are demographics. The world is, there are pockets of uh, young people in the world, mainly in emerging markets, but for developed markets, people have got older. The baby boomers are retiring. And when you retire, you need income and you need stable income. You don't want to be invested heavily in things, in speculative investments that may allow you to live the lifestyle that you want. You want some security and bonds provide that. So that's one thing. Secondly, you've got technology. So over the past 30 years, we've seen the internet come on board and the internet means that when I go out there to buy um, a book, I find the cheapest book in the world. And, you know, mm. it's, it, you know, it, it, price discovery is there for both consumers and for companies and that helps drive prices down and technology obviously has big impacts in other ways whether it's getting an uber that's a lot cheaper than a a traditional taxi or or whatever it might be so Mm -hmm. that's also been a massive benefit and finally globalization so china joined the world trade organization i think end of 2001 2002 some sometime around then Uh, but globalization was already underway you know with the far east and other areas of the world able Mm. to manufacture TVs or make pairs of jeans for a fraction of the cost. Again, I think back to when I was a student, uh, the the price of an item of clothing would be the price of five items of clothing today. You know, you you didn't, people didn't buy clothes in those days. It just wasn't affordable. And now Mm. everything, you know, obviously I'm not saying everything is affordable, but things Mm. are cheaper because of globalization. And those trends are likely to continue continue over the next five years i think the risks to that are that there's a lot more government debt out there so there's a risk that borrowers uh, sorry lenders like me bond investors say well if you're going to be borrowing another 100 billion uh, dollars worth of bonds next month uh, i need to get paid a higher yield for it so Mm. that's Mm. one of those risks but on the whole things probably um if we get past this inflation blip which is obviously mainly now caused by the war in ukraine and the um the impact that's having on energy supply chains if we can get past that and become more energy self-sufficient 
Um, Europe's trying to do that right now. The US is already pretty energy self-sufficient. Uh, I can't see a quick solution to this, but probably the worst of the inflation impact is behind us. Brilliant. That sounds um, uh, reasonably positive. Thank you very much, Jim. It was great no chatting problem. to you. Thanks Lovely for your comments. Lovely chatting to you too. Absolutely. Thank you very much and um, enjoy the rest of your trip. Thank you.